Hello, hello, hello. How are you all doing tonight? I want you to buckle up. You're buckling up. Turn to your neighbor and say, buckle up. God's going to touch you this evening. If you thought you'd come to just decorate a chair tonight, wrong. <laughs> um, I just sensed um, before I begin, I'm going to share you my story night, tonight. And I'm sharing with you my story with the purpose of that God has um, his hand on every one of your lives and he wants to use every one of your stories for his purpose. And as you'll find tonight, I am not what you think I am. And uh, God has uh, just got hold of my story, got hold of my life. And because of it, turned many other people's lives around. And that's what God wants to do with you. So um, if you thought you came for a nice tickle down the back of your spine, wrong. <laughs> God wants to really touch you now. Well, I'll give you a little bit of a background. You, you may or may not have met my husband. I've got one son who's 31 who's on the market. <laughs> Loves Jesus with all his heart writes music for orchestras. So anybody want to marry a highly intelligent man, lives in Sydney. Anyway, he's got a British accent, so he's very charming. Now, there's a reason he's got a British accent. Um, because for the last 29 years, Dave and I were pastoring in the United Kingdom. So we went, I was 25 years old, and I went four months pregnant with $100 a month support, and we went to the other side of the world to plant a church knowing nobody at all. And uh, I don't look like I have malnutrition, do I? So uh, God looked after us. And um, so we're the strange, we're like the Adams family. We're really strange because Dave and I um, have Australian accents, I think. Do I still sound Australian? Yep. And my son has got a completely British accent. So people can't quite work us out when we're together. Like, why does your son sound so different to you? Well, that's because he was born in Sheffield in the United Kingdom, Steel City. And we were there for, t I'm painting this picture to take you back, so come with me. So we were there for 29 years. And um, so uh, we came back two and a half years ago in the middle of COVID. So we were those people that did that hotel quarantine. Um, and we almost killed each other. <laughs> uh, no sunlight, no opening window, two weeks. It was hell on earth and paid $4,000 for the privilege. But we got back into the country. Yay, they let us in after all that time. So I'm originally from Brisbane. And so we went to plant a church in 1991 and um, left having planted 15 churches all over the UK. We had a church in Ghana, Accra in the capital of Ghana, a church in Frankfurt and Darmstadt in Germany, um, a church in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and then nine in the UK. And I also, I'm saying all this for a reason, so don't think, oh gosh, she's a show off. Um, I'm saying all this to take you to where I ended off to take you back to my beginning. And um, the other thing I did was about 20 years ago, I um, felt God really put it on my heart to start a charity um, looking after young women that were coming with life-controlling issues like um, heroin addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, anorexia, all those sorts of things. And I started with one house and one girl. And um, about four years in, the South Yorkshire police approached me and said, would we start taking girls that had been rescued for hum from human trafficking? We're beginning to identify the problem in the UK. And that a charity grew and grew until we were subcontracted to the British government. We had 14 homes, 170 staff, <laughs> um, and looked after about over 5,000 men, women, and children in the last five years. So it was quite phenomenal what God did 
um, even to the point that we had the privilege of writing the British government law on um, victim care, which then the New South Wales government adopted the law that my organisation had written. And now your Australian government law is the law that my organisation wrote in the UK. How cool is that? How God can just do something absolutely crazy. So I've painted all that picture um, for you to understand where God can take your story. Um, and the title of my message tonight is A Ploy and a Plan. And so I want to take you right back to the beginning. And I just want to read you quickly a scripture from the story of Joseph. And it says in Genesis 41, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. It's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And truly, God can take any story and any life and anything that you've been through and he can turn it around and make it really fruitful. So I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. And the beginning is I was born. There it is. Um, but I was not born like many of us are. I was born in a home for unwanted babies in Brisbane. And I was given away at birth. And I uh, know now that my birth mother never even held me in her arms. And all my life there's been like just this real... Uh, attachment issues and, and a major rejection and um, inferiority and insecurity issues. So that's why I said I'm not what you think I am. Um, just like major, major stuff. And so I was given away at birth and was left there unloved, unwanted, unplanned. I thought perhaps people thought no purpose for this little baby. And um, at th when I was three weeks old, um, this beautiful couple walked into this single mother's home in Brisbane and uh, literally in the last two years ago I actually discovered the place I was born and, and stood outside the house I was born. And um, three weeks in this beautiful couple, uh, John Ernest and Enid Dorothy Stewart, uh, walked into this single mother's home in Brisbane and two years before they had adopted my big brother Robert um, and he is blonde hair and blue eyed and fair skinned. They walked in two years later to adopt me and I was olive skinned and brown eyed and brown haired. This is fake. <laughs> Covering a few little salt and pepper issues. <laughs> and, um, and they actually turned around and walked out of the single mother's home because I didn't match my brother. And something they said, my mum realised before she passed that it was the Holy Spirit arrested them at the door. And they knew they had to adopt this little baby. So they actually turned around and walked back in. And so I became Jenny Enid Stewart. And I, I'm great. I've been scarred most of my life with that name. But um, I'm grateful now because mum's in heaven. And so I became Jenny Enid Stewart. And both um, Enid and my dad, John, are in heaven tonight cheering from the, the hall of heaven tonight. And so I was adopted into this amazing family. And, you know, I was given, I was blessed. I was given everything. I was sent um, to the most, the, the absolute top private school in Brisbane. And I was just lavished upon and, and celebrated and loved. But there was this real, real deep rejection issue within my spirit. And mum said to me, lady, she could never remember. This is why you can see I'm a miracle, can't you? 
She can never remember as a little girl me ever having anyone home to play, not even once, because I could not attach with other children. There was a deep problem within me of rejection and insecurity. If somebody was talking across the room, I assumed that they were talking about me in a bad way. And I can remember perhaps when I was about 11 years old making a real decision in my spirit. And now having worked with um, many, many young women um, who have all sorts of issues like I did, they can flick off into addiction. And many of the people that we know that have many issues in this area in their lives are like that because they're, they're battling deep issues in their soul and they deserve uh, compassion, not derision. And, but I remembered when I was about 11 years old and um, I decided that the way I was going to cope with the issues within me was I was going to become good at everything. There was a hunger in me for acceptance. And so I remember making the decision that the way that I was going to get accepted into the world was become the person that you love to hate. <laughs> and um, so I became that girl. I became Ducks of Brisbane Girls Grammar School. And I um, became the school prefect and hockey captain and athletics captain and house captain and uh, ran for Queensland. Um, I have two artificial hips for that now, so don't run, eat cake. <laughs> Way too much running, got artificial hips in my 40s. Um, so I became that girl that to all intents and purposes looked like I had everything together. But in my deep, in my heart, I was battling such incredible insecurity, inferiority and rejection in my spirit. And I know in a room like this tonight that we can sometimes come into a place and we can present like we've got it all together. But each and every one of us are no doubt battling things within our spirit that only our Lord Jesus can see. And the good news is tonight that God can come by his Holy Spirit and he can minister to those things that are deep within our heart. And so I became this, I looked like I had it all together girl. A long story short, when I was in grade 12, uh, two years after I finished uh, high school, uh, my father, who I adored, John Ernest Stewart, um, suddenly just died when I was 16. And it, it had a massive, massive effect on my spirit because these were the only secure things in my heart. I, the massive father issue that was in me, uh, my actual father brought me up, passed away when I was 16. And I was supposed to um, go and study economics that year at Queensland Uni. I don't know why, how boring would that have been? But <laughs> And um, I, I deferred that year instead and um, I decided to work because I was so broken. And I, to be honest, I didn't have a friend in the world. Here was this success story who didn't have a friend in the world. And I went to work that year and I would come home every night and um, I decided that if God was real, I really, really had to find him. And I came home every night from work and my mum was broken and my brother had gone off the rails. And I would sit in my room and I would cry out to God at 17 years old. And if you're real, show yourself to me. And at 17, I could say I had an encounter with Jesus that was incredibly powerful. And I would look forward to coming home every night because it was like the Holy Spirit was waiting for me at the end of my bed. I came to know Jesus so powerful. You've got to understand right through this, this, this root of rejection and, and pain was really deep within me. 
And long story, I meet Dave. I go to Bible college when I was 18. And I meet Dave the night I finished because I told God I wasn't interested in boys while I was at Bible college. So he waited till the night I finished. And I met Dave street witnessing in Brisbane. <laughs> long story. Dave was actually like the star performer. What he, he's never told you is he plays the guitar and can sing really good. And he used to be the star performer that all the churches wanted in Queensland in the 80s. He pretends that's not true, but it is. <laughs> and um, we got married. A long story short, we were youth pastors for five years. So here I was ministering the word of God, but in my heart, I was still this rejected, insecure young woman. And if I'm going to give you a tip for free tonight, it would be this. When you're in pain, keep on loving people. Because the Holy Spirit will sneak up behind you and heal your heart when you're not even looking. And so, this is a whole huge story. We end up in England. I'm 25 years old and I'm pregnant. And I remember thinking, I really owe it to my son, all 4.2 kilos of him. Thus, I only had one. Um, <laughs> he's this big now. Um, yeah, it put me off. <laughs> I remember thinking, Lord Jesus, I don't want to hand down these issues of rejection and inferiority and insecurity to the next generation. I, I owe it to my son to deal with the issues that are in my spirit. And so I remember thinking to myself, you know, perhaps if I found my real family, I could find out where I come from. I'll, I'll go back to the beginning and I'll deal with everything that's in my spirit. And so they changed the law in Queensland in the 90s where you could get your original birth certificate. So I wrote off and got my original birth certificate. It comes back to me and my birth name was Kim Ann Salter. And if anybody knows of a vineyard in the Barossa called Saltram Vineyards that was planted by my family in the 1830s. And, and there's this birth certificate that has my mum's name on it when I was born. No father's name. And there was a cattle station address on it way out in the bush in Queensland. And so I rode off to this address. And of course, these cattle stations are passed down through the families. And my uncle was still on the property. So three months later, a, a letter arrives back in my house in the United Kingdom. And it's a letter from my birth mum, Heather, who is five foot one. And so I discover I have four half-brothers and a half-sister. And one of my brothers played for the Wallabies and is now the Australian rep on the World Rugby Board. Just this amazing family of orthopedic surgeons. Where were they when I needed him? <laughs> and barristers and just amazing family and so I, I wrote to Heather for six months and eventually fly back across the world to meet my birth mother and I remember the day well, I've never been so nervous in all my life um, I got my mullet perm into a French plait for the day and um, <laughs> only those that are old enough can remember the beauty of that fashion mostly most of the men are wearing it now <laughs> yeah and uh, extra large shoulder pads for the day. And I went into Queensland Mall to meet my birth mother, Heather. Never been so nervous. Now, you got to understand, ladies, I'm going to this 
to solve the rejection and the insecurity and the, the major issues that are in my spirit. So I sit down opposite my birth mum, who I look like, and um, I show her baby photos of me. And she's, she's weeping because she was never allowed to hold me in her arms. And we're talking, and then she says, Jen, she says, I suppose you would love to know who your father is. I wanted that more than anything because I lost my father at 16 and I had no father figure in my life at all. And she looks me in the eye and she says, Jen, I was gang raped and you're the baby. Now I thought in that moment that I was going to find the answer to all the issues that were in my soul. Instead, I have never felt so unwanted and so unloved. And in that moment, I felt like, how could I possibly have been born in such a horrific way? How could I ever have even been in the heart of God for that to happen? But this is what I really want to share with you ladies tonight. Because it was at that moment, God began to step into my life in an even more profound way. And I remember him bringing me uh, to my favorite scripture in the Bible, and it's Jeremiah 1 verse 5. And it's my life verse. And it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations that came up later. But I began to realize that God had destiny written upon this little life before I was even born. It makes no sense that I could have been born through such violence, but that God knew me and had destiny written up upon my life before I even came to be. And then he led me to this amazing passage of scripture in Ezekiel 16. I'm going to read it to you. It's my story. It's there in the word of God. It says this. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by. What a beautiful scripture. Then I passed by and I saw you. Picture of the love of God. I saw you kicking about in your blood. And, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field and you grew and developed. And then it goes on and says, later I passed by. And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. And I gave you a solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. And I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put fine sandals of leather on you. And I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. It's there. It's in the scripture. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. 
And it says, because the splendor I have given you has made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. And I remember a night just like tonight, and I was in a meeting. And this is what I really want to say tonight. Are you ready? Buckle up. (laughs) And I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, Jen, your story, your past can either be a container or a springboard. It's your choice. It's your choice. A night just like tonight. And I had no idea that night what lay on the other side of that decision. He said, your story can either be a container or a springboard. And God promised me three things. And I pray God ministers powerfully in this place tonight for many of us that have been through much pain because there is much purpose in much pain. And the first thing God promised me was divine forgetfulness, which is very handy at 57. (laughs) But divine forgetfulness in that I cannot, um, I don't wake up in the morning thinking I'm a baby of a gang rape. I wake up thinking, Dave, bring me the coffee. Because God has promised us the ability that our stories may not change but we forget the pain of the story. It's like our lives forget the pain and God turns the pain into purpose. The enemy had a ploy. God had a plan. And God wants to give us divine fruitfulness. But us Christian ladies, are you ready? See, this is when the iron fist and the velvet glove comes out. Are you ready? You ready, girls? Us ladies love to linger around pain. We love to build a campfire and toast marshmallows and sing kumbaya and hope somebody else is listening and watching us as we've got one eye open because we prefer to dangle ourselves and linger our lives around in consequence instead of God coming by his spirit and saying, I want to take that thing that you've been through and turn it into something mighty. Is anybody with me? And Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things, do not dwell oh we love a good dwell us ladies we love to dwell around stuff and we hope somebody's looking while we dwell but my bible says forget the former things and do not dwell on the past see i'm doing new thing do you not perceive springs up do you not perceive it see i'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland whatever you've been through tonight God has a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland for you. Your story is not of one of pain, but it's of purpose. There's a reason you've gone through things, because other people stand on the other side of your conquering those things. That's what true fruitfulness is. True forgetfulness, sorry. God wants to, us to forget the former things and not reticerate our lives around an issue. We love to be like one of those chickens. Just roast ourselves and hope somebody can give us some sympathy. We don't need sympathy. We need purpose. Come on, somebody. We don't need sympathy for our pain. We need to turn it into purpose because that's what Jesus does. Gives us divine forgetfulness. The second thing. Are you ready for God to move tonight? The second thing God promised me was divine fruitfulness. I had a moment. I was telling Pauline about it today. So 
in nine cities around the UK every week, we would have a drop-in where many of the uh, survivors that we'd put in, that we'd successfully loved back to life and put into the community, they lived in outreach, and they would come in to a drop-in once a week in our buildings all across the UK. And I remember one week walking in to the foyer of our building in Sheffield. Now, what you've got to understand is we couldn't Instagram what we were doing because we were hiding people. We were hiding people from traffickers. So I couldn't pose there like this, look at what I'm doing. You know back in the day where you used to do things for Jesus just because you loved him? Before you posed it on Instagram as a shot. Anyway, just saying, <laughs> little dig. <laughs> and so I was walked into the foyer of our building in Sheffield this day and there were 35 prams. And I realised, now many of these women who were trafficked, when they got pregnant after they'd been in multiple rape situations, as they were trafficked for sexual exploitation, many of these women, when they got pregnant, they would be thrown out in the streets at eight and a half months pregnant and the police would come and rescue them and they'd end up in our care. And then we would be birth partners to them and they'd give birth to these babies. In the last year alone, we had 35 babies brought into our care. And I stand there in the foyer and there's these 35 prams. And I had this divine moment when I realised those babies were me. These were 35 babies of rape. God had promised me divine fruitfulness. And there in front of me, I saw a picture of the fruitfulness that God had promised my life. And it came from a night like tonight when I drew a line in the sand. And I said, God, would you take my pain? Would you take what I've been through? And would you turn it into purpose and fruit? There is nothing that you have been through that God cannot make fruitful. There's this scripture that we've heard so many times from John chapter 12. It says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And sometimes we've been through so much in life, we think, God, I've just been through so many death experiences. No, you haven't. That's seed in the ground. That God by his spirit wants to come and breathe upon and multiply in Jesus' name. It's what God wants to do. And the last thing God promised me, could we have the keyboard player, the very pregnant keyboard player? <laughs> the last thing God promised me was divine authority. Now right at the beginning of the night, I was talking about Joseph, how he had been through so much betrayal and abandonment. And so many things that he ends up in a place that he says, God's made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This same Joseph ended up second in charge of the land in which he'd suffered. And I remember God saying to me, Jenny, I'm going to give you divine authority over that which you've experienced. I could preach on the tabernacle, never have, never will, but if I did, broken people will be healed. Because God's given me an authority over brokenness. Because of my story. God's given me a breakthrough anointing. You wonder, some of you last night, why does she have this breakthrough anointing? Well, now you know. It's because of what I've suffered. 
God's given me an authority over brokenness, an authority to take you from a place of pain to a place of purpose. That's the anointing on my life. But what authority does God want to give you because of what you've been through? What does God want to come and place on on your life? What does God want to come and place on this company of women? What does God want to come and place on this house to touch this city? There's a generation of women outside these walls tonight. You owe them your line in the sand moment. Where you say, I'm not going to any longer allow myself to be the victim in my life, but I'm going to choose to have victory in my situation. Is anybody awake tonight? So I will remember a moment. And, and all my life, and even now, my, my greatest weakness is rejection. And I've, I've had to uh, surround my life with Scripture. I have my arsenal in my pocket that I bring out like an AK-47 when the enemy comes at me. <laughs> Don't you bring out Psalm 139. It's coming out. <laughs> Fearfully and wonderfully made. But I remember that I was in a meeting. I think it was in Bradford in England. And um, for some reason, I was feeling really rejected and alone in this meeting of thousands of women. And I remember saying to God, Lord, why did I have to be born this way that my whole life I struggle with this? This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Jen, become what you were never given. He said, Jen, I want you to get shoulders that are so broad that people can stand on your shoulders and touch the heart of God. I had no clue at that point in my life that thousands of lives, and still now thousands of lives, thousands of purposes and thousands of destiny would stand on the other side of a line in the sand moment. where the challenge was out. What are we going to do with our stories? Are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to come? Do you know I had a really um, strong sense as I was sitting there in worship tonight that God has a very, very divine purpose for the women of this house. And it, it hasn't even yet completely unfolded. But I pray tonight that God's given you the capacity to dream. I remember standing in a room this size at about 2001 when I challenged my women with a dream. A dream of opening one house. I remember standing in a room in about 2005 with nervous husbands as I told them that their wives would be rescuing people that were being chased by traffickers. <laughs> but I had no idea that when I drew my line in the sand, what God was going to do. Now you've got to understand I'm Jenny from the block. I'm no one special. I'm a baby of a gang rape from the back of Brisbane. But God had a purpose. And before we respond to God tonight, I want to tell you a little update on the story 
because God's into redeeming the day and redeeming the whole story. So four years ago, as you can understand, I would never know who my father was, the baby of a gang rape. Four years ago, I did Ancestry.com because I wanted to find out why I was so stupidly tall <laughs> and why my son was six foot three. <laughs> and um, let me say I got more than I bargained for. I discovered I was Scandinavian. That's nice. I like Scandinavia. <laughs> um, but I also was matched with a brother from my father's side on DNA. So four years ago, I found out who the rapist was and he's passed. But I discovered I had six more brothers. I've got like 11. Like it's just way too many brothers. And these six brothers all live in Queensland and have had a really tough life. But I've met four of them in the last two years. And just the strangest things began to be uncovered. So I told this story in Townsville in North Queensland probably 10 years ago. I discovered now that my father and one of my brothers was in the congregation. I discovered that the Queensland Director of Women for Australian Christian Churches was brought up in the house next door to my father and knew my father. I discovered that all my brothers and my father had had the gospel presented to them and preached to them. And at this point, now I'm going to cry. I've been believing for my brothers. And two weeks ago, I discovered one of them walked into a church in Ingham, North Queensland, and gave his heart to Jesus just two weeks ago. God is redeeming the story. He's redeeming the story because he wants to do even more. I wonder if you'll stand with me tonight. We won't be here forever, but I know in a room like this tonight, I believe there's destinies that God wants to write. I believe there's dreams in some of your spirits to really, really minister to the women of this city and this region. It's, it's interesting when I share my story, it goes multiple ways. There are, there are people in the room tonight that you need your brokenness touched and healed by the power of God. There'll be you. There'll also be women in this room tonight that you know tonight this is your line in the sand. This is your moment that you need to say, God, I'm not going to allow my story to be my container a moment longer. I'm not going to allow my, my spirit to be contained by inconsequence, but I'm going to step into the anointing of my future and my purpose tonight in Jesus' name. And as I said, you do not know what God does when you make a decision. So what I'm going to do in a moment, right? I'm going to count to three. Now, when Jenny counts to three, I don't do two and two thirds and two and five eighths. Right? I don't wait for the lady who needs a new sports bra to come out here first, right? We're going to run to God tonight. If you need to draw a line in the sand tonight and step into a destiny and a dream that you've been putting off and you need to step into it, or if you need God to come by His Holy Spirit this evening and stitch up brokenness into your spirit, you're never too old, you're never too young because God wants to use your lives. Are you ready? I'm going to do a quick three. You ready? 
One, two, three. Right across this place. Come, 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 come right now. Right across this place. God's going to do some miracles in this place tonight in Jesus' name. 